This episode is sponsored by Little Oven Pizza of Merced, California. Best pizza in Merced, hands down. In the world. In the world, I'm honestly. It. I'm speaking it out. Honestly. And pizza's not even like, you know, an American thing. Well, oh no, sorry. Wait, wait, is pizza an American thing nowadays? I guess... Well, I mean, it's obviously it's an more Italian American thing. than Italian now. I think it's it's just like yeah. Well, I mean, uh, we've we've Americanized it. We just melt like a brick of cheese on it now. Well, I mean, it was originally made by the Greeks. So wait, really? Oh, really? Yeah, they they would put their uh, their flatbreads on their shields like the Spartans. Uh-huh. And they would cook it and then they'd put stuff on top of it. So that's Whoa. like the original pizza. What? There we go. Italians little oven, are lies. Little oven pizza of Greece. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. No, I, I want that to happen. So, uh, Chris, have you have you had little oven pizza before? Yeah, I've had little little oven a couple times. A couple times. Did you, so you go for the classics or the specials? What do you go for? See, I'm a simple man. I enjoy you know pepperoni and sausage on my pizza. There you I'm go. Carnivore for sure. Can't go wrong with that, dude. I literally roll with that half the time. You can't like, go exactly. Yeah. If there's a special that I'm not feeling, boom, pepperoni. Pepperoni right, I mean, every time. Yeah, Each but that being said, like the specials go go hard. They, hard. The specials they go, hard. go insane. Dude, yeah, like, oh, do you know some like the fancy ingredients on there? Like honey and uh, they put honey on the honey, pizza? Yeah. arugula, dates. It's weird. It blew my mind when I saw honey, and now can't live without it. Yeah, you have I'm to, have, I'm have to try a honey pizza. You have to it's try. A, it's a, it's a, it's so a good. mind, mind twister. Yes. Yeah, and speaking of mind twisters, <laughs> <laughs> we we always try to go for transitions here. But our second sponsor of sp- second sponsor. Uh, of our show is the chocolate dipper. Now I know UC Merced, so you're currently a UC Merced student. Yep, yep. Um, and there's a lot of organizations on there, I'm sure. And and you know organizations, whether it's sports teams. I know you guys recently got a soccer team as well, like an official. Well, no, soccer team has been on there for a while. Yeah. What, is there a new? Is there a new team that I kind d- of sprang up? At the UC. I don't know if there's a new one. Well, because you guys are building a bunch of new sports facilities, yeah, right? Yeah, they're building a pool right now out uh-huh. by the parking lot, and then they just finished up the second field right next to it. Mm. Um, I don't know about any of the other sports teams, though. I know we have a basketball team and a volleyball team as well. Yeah, that makes Sick, sense. Yeah. But anyways, if they're ever looking for you know, sources of fundraising, the Chocolate Dipper is the way to go. You know, They provide excellent products, chocolate-dipped apples, yeah. among other things, not just that. You know, pretzel sticks pretzel, as well. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just it's community-based. And it's community favored, so you can't go wrong with buying yeah. and selling through through that medium. Most definitely. Um, speaking of buying and selling, if you're looking or if you're on the market buying or selling a house or even renting a house, next door real estate professionals next door is the way estate. to go. The owners Eric and Aaron Ham are fantastic people, and they're community members, and that's yeah. what we're going for, right? Yeah. Because Chris, hypothetical here, all right? You're looking to buy a house. You got 100k cash right now. All right. And you and you have two options, right? You either Go to a real estate company that is owned by people who live in the same community that is going to buy your house or, you go or that, that has your house. To Century 21. Yeah, go to Century 21. And they're in San Francisco. Yeah, they're based, based out offshore or whatever. <laughs> no. Which one do you go for? I mean, you go for the local people. You go you for know. the exactly. local people. Exactly. You trust them because they have the best interest in mind. And that's they have exactly. the same goals and aspirations as you. Exactly. And that's what Nextdoor Real Estate has to offer. And I guess with that, let's just cue the music and get on with another episode of the David and Cal show. Episode 28. Hey everyone, we are back at again with our 28th episode of the David and Cal show. You know, it's sometimes good to reflect a little, right? It's sometimes good to reflect. We've had a fantastic journey so far, yep. met a bunch of new people, yep. met students, college students, which so happens to be one of our guests today. Hello there, Chris. How are you doing? Hello. So, so this is uh, this is uh, Chris Rashi. You are a... Uh, UC student. Well, I guess I I, sh- I should leave the introduction to you. Yeah, I'm a uh, I'm a second year at UC Merced, about to finish a uh, fall semester this year. Um, 
I'm from Merced, obviously. Uh, class of 2018? 20, yeah, class of 2018 at Merced High, and uh-huh. then uh, class of 2021 at the UC. And your major is? I'm a bio major. Oh, boy. Six, six. Rip. <laughs> and and uh, something unique about what you're doing at uh, the UC. Yeah, is... and then uh, I have what's called the NSCC minor, which stands for Natural Sciences Education with Credential minor. So I'm actually taking my teaching credential as a minor. So when I graduate from the UC, uh, I'll have a fully fully accredited teaching credential. And awesome. this is and this is as opposed to finishing your four year and then, then yeah. getting your teaching credential. Y- yeah, correct? which they also offer at the UC. Mm-hmm. We have an extension program, and it's all through this uh, program called CalTeach. Um, and so the way it works is you can either do the extension program where you will, after you graduate, you'll take it. And it depends on how many of the minor classes you completed, because through the minor, you take certain classes and those can actually fulfill credential requirements regardless of when you do it. Hmm, nice. Um, yep. To actually finish the credential, the program that I'm doing, I actually have to go to UC Berkeley for a semester. Oh, wow. so, Dude, that's yeah. exciting, man. Yeah, that's so, cool. So we're aiming for spring 2020. We're going to head over to Berkeley, take, I think, Four, three or four classes over there nice. and then come back do my student teaching and then have a credential yo that's lit yeah, that's and awesome that's one of the benefits and that's why probably that's probably why um, our uc system is such like the envy of the world because we have this type of pro like calteach and and yeah. among other stuff i know like in biochemistry like a lot of the facilities that the ucs use are interchange like intershared yeah right like i know the berkeley's um dna um, sequencing is free for all the ucs but cost money for like other universities. So just in general, the UC yeah. system is really cool. People love the UC system. Right, so why is it that you have to go out to Berkeley all the way to, to have a whole semester? Do they just offer classes that we don't have? Uh, from my understanding, that's what it is. Um, uh-huh. I don't know exactly the history of it, but I'm pretty sure Caltech started at Berkeley. And so cool. it's more developed over there than it is like in the other UC systems. Mm-hmm. And so Firmer said, we just you know send the students over there and you have to set up like this whole portfolio and everything. Like there's a whole mm. process to it before you can go on your Berkeley right. semester. Do you have to be accepted into all that? Or is it like a given once you get into Calteach program? Um, getting into Calteach uh, isn't really how it like works. You oh. just do the classes. Oh. But then going to Berkeley, you have to get accepted. Oh. So you set up your portfolio, you apply for it. Uh-huh. You have to have like a certain GPA. You have like, you know, your teaching statement, your teaching, um, what is your teaching pr- philosophy yeah. and like a bunch of other stuff that you have. And then Ooh. you turn that in, in a portfolio, uh-huh. Berkeley reviews it and they're like, okay, we'll bring you over. We'll finish up your credential. Right. Wait, so, and if you don't get accepted though, sorry, uh, if you don't get accepted, what happens? You are just done for the, done for it or do you have to? If you don't get accepted, you can, you know, run it back, try again the next semester. Oh, damn. And Oof. if that doesn't work, like if you just can't fit it in your uh, four years at the UC, then you can still do your, um the extension program afterwards uh, right. and all the classes you took as a minor through NSC through the uh, NSCD system will still count towards your credential course so you'll still get your credential at an accelerated pace mm, makes sense so makes what sense. made you uh, what made you want to teach I mean I've always been pretty good at like helping people tutoring people yeah, and yeah. then um, I have like a slight performing arts lean because I did theater for a bunch of years at the Playhouse mm. and oh, shoot, so yeah. You know, combining those two things kind of just felt natural. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Have you, because I mean, a lot of teachers, uh, they always say like, oh, I, when I was like in high school, I never even thought of being a teacher. Uh-huh. I think I've heard like many it's teachers say It's definitely not that. like a, I wouldn't, I wouldn't the, you know, contrary to how popular of a role it is now yeah. in terms of, you know, how, how many people it touches, <clears throat> it doesn't seem to be like a mainstream career. Yeah, so when, when did you like concretely like decide that you wanted to be a teacher but basically when i went to college really? i was like, like it was between here it was between uc merced and stanislaus and i was like either way i'm going to become a teacher yeah. and then when i went to bobcat day at uc merced 
I saw Cal teach and I was like, oh, guess we're going to UC Merced then. There uh-huh. you go. Oh, cool. Yep. Yeah. I'm kind of interesting because you, you mentioned real quick on your Berkeley uh, application that you have to mention your teaching philosophy. Yeah. I'm fascinated with that. Teaching because, philosophy. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I was talking with Admin on a, on a short recording sesh we didn't, but I talked with him about Finland's educational system. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I read a book about that two years ago, I think. Uh-huh. It's called The Smartest Kids in the World. Yeah. And it was after the yes, census that yes. showed that America was the 26th or whatever smartest yeah. country. Not, not, yeah, not high. <laughs> Richest country, but 26th yeah. on the... Uh-huh. They, um, they, what was it? They interviewed a bunch of the kids who went to, like, Poland was the smartest, but also the richest, or no, smartest, but the poorest. Uh-huh. And then South Korea and Finland. And the thing that they found out about Finland was that um, the teachers there, it was basically like getting your, um, if you were saying you were going to be a teacher, it's basically it's like, like saying doctor. Yeah, it's saying you're pre-med, basically. Wow. Yeah, it's it's like, the same level it's of like way rigor more rigorous, and respect. Yeah. And also what's fascinating is that they teach, like the amount of hours they teach in a year is way less than ours. Yeah. Contrary to like, yeah, it seems yeah, counterintuitive, right? But it's it's more of like they do, they end up doing training and Training, stuff. yeah. Yes. The, the rest of the time they do training. Yeah. Um, but uh, let, let's back up a few steps because I'm really curious about your teaching philosophy. So so what did you write on the application or what is your teaching philosophy that you've so far, I, I know, you, you know, it's, it's tough to like, you know, say for sure, but like, what is it kind of developed to be so far? So actually I'm taking the class that has that as an assignment next semester, which oh. is NACD 120. Right now I'm just in the lower division classes. So we can figure out the kinks and what uh-huh. my actual philosophy is later. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, but, you know, what's like the is is there one s- developing one like that you kind of leaning towards or? Uh, yeah, a big thing for me uh, personally when it comes to teaching or my philosophy on how it should be done is student led, student driven. Oh, there um, we go. There you go. I really want to move away from. There's a big thing right now where you have a lot of and not to knock them or anything, but a lot of these old school teachers who are teaching with yeah. this like. Um, lecture sage, style it, sage on the stage kind yeah. of style where it's oh, like yes. I'm, up, I'm up here I'm telling you the information you're and, learning yeah it. and everyone sits back and just yep uh-huh. and it's like if you're not engaged you're not going to get anything yeah. out of uh-huh. it and so I think what we should move is less off of the sage on the stage and more to the guide on the side sort of style whoa big whoa. head there we and go and so yes. instead of the teacher you know talking 80% of the class time oh. you want the students talking 80% of the class time I, you I want them making that. their Completely. connections yeah and uh-huh. Actually, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but the science standards have actually been updated as of 2016, mm-hmm. much like Common Core. Uh, oh, I heard about that, actually, because yeah. Miss Downey was talking about that. Yeah, yeah. she was. Yes. NGSS, Next Generation Science. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, okay, yeah. And so those are going to start taking effect, and you're really going to feel this, like, student-driven approach, mm-hmm. like, really being pushed in schools uh-huh. with these kids. Yeah, there's right. nothing better than an innovative teacher. Like, I just love – anytime, uh, like, I have a young teacher who goes out of their way to just try new things and get the students more involved – uh, Miss Jones, I've mentioned her a few times on campus. Oh, yeah. She's, she's probably she, the she most innovative them. teacher I know. She has, like, uh-huh. great ideas. Every day she has, like, a plan, and it's something that I've never done before. Uh-huh. She never lectures, every, but yet you learn. Yeah. Um, and she, she's even offering, like, a film course yeah. in substitute for, for, for English. You, you do, like, videos instead of reading books. Hmm. So it, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. But I'm sure there are complications when it comes to implementing a student-led curriculum, right? So yeah, what are the complications when it comes to that? I mean, the hardest thing with it is the students have to be doing the work. Right. I- if they're not engaged in it, nothing's actually happening. Mm-hmm. It's not like a lecture where if everyone's sitting back, like, you're still lecturing. If you're trying to do a student-driven approach to teaching and the students aren't actually approaching the content, then no one's doing anything. Right. And so the real thing is to drive, like, this sort of rigor behind them from an early age, making sure that they know that, like, difficulties are something to be overcome. So if you find like a concept that's really hard, instead of thinking like 
oh, this is hard. My teacher will tell me what to do. Uh-huh. What else do I know that I can connect to this? What mm. connections can I make to uh, fix this like problem? It's like taking ownership of, uh-huh. of, of, of a challenge. Yeah, because the idea of it is like, say I'm trying to teach a student about a concept. If I just tell them the concept, congratulations, they know it. If I give them the opportunity to figure out the concept on their own and then fill in the gaps later of like any vocabulary or something else that they don't know, then they've learned it on a more personal level. Mm-hmm. And like yeah, they're well, adapting d- what I know to their own personal. I have an example rubric. of that happening. I think David might remember this. Uh-huh. We were in uh, AP Physics one time, uh-huh. and we were learning uh, like ro- rotating, like a wheel rotating. Uh-huh. And she, Miss Downey, like gave us an equation, uh-huh. and I like looked at the equation. I was like, okay, I, I guess I, I can it's like very, pl- detached yeah, very detached from the actual problem. Yeah, it's very detached. And then. I, I sat down and like I, I did the p- problem in reverse and I like disassembled it, mm-hmm. and then I came up to you and I was like, "Is this?" this is, oh, I remember that. Yeah, because you, you did a, you did ex- like you know that meme where it says like I don't know how you got the answer, but it's right. Yeah, it's exactly yes. like that. Yeah. Where, yeah. But it was it wasn't like a mistake or anything. It was just like a completely different way to get it, and he got it consistently. Like, and, I, and I remember problems. you mentioned like that's what really gets you to remember something. Yeah, because yeah. you remember it now, don't yeah, you? Definitely remember. Exactly, it. and I'm sure there's plenty of studies when it comes to like when you discover the pathway of a problem yourself. You, of course, of course, you would retain yeah. retain it better. I mean, there's there's a plethora of evidence that describes that. But can you give me an example of a specifically what would a, what a student led, you know, curriculum would be like? So so what would a day of student student led teaching look like in a classroom? Well, actually, um, my final for one of my classes that I'm in right now is to teach a lesson, and I'm in the middle school section, Ooh. and so I taught my lesson on Tuesday at Tanaya. Uh-huh. And oh, so, wait, oh, wait, so you were you were like boots on the ground? You were boots on the ground, like actually at? Oh yeah, so that's the really cool thing about Calteach. Your first class there has a fieldwork component. You are in a classroom the moment you sign up for Whoa. one of the minor classes. Yeah, that's scary. They want you there. They want you learning. They want you getting experience, making connections with teachers, and then you start teaching. Right, which represents, I think, what what they're because you know they. I'm sure they also don't want to be like the sage on the stage where. Yeah, I mean, you the, know, we're gonna teach you how to teach children in this you know dark lecture yeah, hall. Yeah, imagine like trying to teach someone to be an innovative teacher, but the way you're teaching them is not is outdated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's oh, yeah, that's kind good. of ironic. Yeah. Cool. All right. So so yeah, continue on with that. Tanaya? Yeah, so at Tanaya last Tuesday, we were doing a lesson, and the standard was um, it was per capita, how per capita population increase affects Earth's natural resources. And so the entire, that was like a driving idea behind the standard. That was like what the actual standard said. Mm-hmm. And so the activity that I chose to do was um, they had like this plate filled with Skittles of different colors, and they had like nets, and they worked in groups of two, and then they would collect, they would fish for like 20 seconds. They collect the Skittles on their thing, and then count up how much were there, and then every two Skittles of a given color would reproduce to make another Skittle of the same color, because, you know, reproduction and all that, uh-huh. and then they would do it again, and then they would do the same thing at a group of four and compare the results. But the thing is, I didn't teach them anything before doing that. Uh-huh. The only thing I asked them before uh-huh. that was, what is overfishing? Right. A lot of it's intuitive, yeah. right? Got and it. so they're going to learn, like, more people, less stuff is there. Yes, uh-huh. yes, yes. And so then after that, that's when you introduce per capita population. That's when you introduce all of these concepts right. and terms. Because at that point, they already have the background to associate yeah. with that kind of concept, right? Yeah, I, I'm basically, they've, you know, they have the coloring book now with all the like pictures and I'm just coloring it in for exactly. them. Oh, perfect yeah. metaphor. I, I'm just filling everything in for them. And so then after that, for like a final or a uh, summative assessment on that, you would probably do like, a, for that one, I'd probably do project-based. Mm-hmm. So you'd have uh-huh. them PBL, find... PBL, project-based learning. Yep, yeah. have them find their own resource, work in groups and find their own resource, and then come back and do like a similar investigation like on that. how a population has increased yeah. with it. Uh-huh. So yeah, yeah and uh, it's fascinating how you can string multiple lessons and multiple different styles for just from one, right? Because yeah. that, was, that was PBL right after you did that initial... Because like I, I've heard in research, there's like a bunch of steps when it comes to like exposure. 
reten well exposure development and retention mm -hmm. something like that and it's fascinating yeah that's really and so just from seeing that like did you see any results like just observing that classroom doing doing that you know student-led like what did you observe that was kind of fascinating for you the students were really really interested in it uh -huh. like their level of engagement was super high yeah would, would you say it was a hundred percent engagement uh probably close to the, to the 90s like there was maybe like nine tables and like maybe one table wasn't a hundred percent engaged. Uh -huh. Like the students were really into the lesson and they were really into doing that activity. Uh -huh. And so you can't do the activity without noticing that the fish are going down. Right. Like yeah. You, so, you have to learn. Yeah. I have a question and it kind of calls back to our first episode, which is about like detention, the detention center. And I kind of want to know, like, you're, do you have any like innovative ideas when it comes to like the side of like discipline and like discipline? Yeah, do they students? teach us as well, like how yeah. to deal with the discipline? We go over um, classroom management as the first um, lesson in my seminar because I oh, have like, okay. the seminar class and then the um, which is like the lecture and then my field work. Right. And so in the seminar, we go over classroom management initially. Most of the behavioral stuff like that, from what I've seen, uh. is based more on the school's philosophy. So whatever your principal says, the rules uh, are. Yeah, because okay. I'm sure discipline is – well, see, that's weird, though, because I've seen both ways where a classroom is governed mainly by the teacher's discretion. Yeah. But also there's the other flip side where the teacher really just goes hands-off and whatever the school's policy are, that's what it is. I mean, you know, if you mess up, there's the referral, right? Like, yeah, you like know. It, it depends on how, you, how that individual teacher wants to do it. Uh -huh. So what about um, you as an individual? See, again, it would depend on how much the school wants to stress um, their own guidelines. Like I know at Tanaya, they really stress this like step forms and like brave and they have like this whole system in place yeah. that like the teacher has to abide by and it's just easier that way. Mm -hmm. Right. But my approach to it is um, basically how most schools do it, which is if a student acts up or does something individually that's like wrong, holds them after class and asks them why they did it, yeah. trying to get to the root of the issue, not actually being angry at the event itself or not even being like, focusing on what they actually did mm -hmm. instead of focusing on why trying to get to the root of what's actually yeah. happening yeah. right this and specific student exactly and we talked yeah. about that multiple we times we did, yeah. where a lot of times behavioral outbursts can be rooted in something completely different than what their behavior actually was yeah, yeah right? it could be family issues could be like you know outside stressors right a lot of things yeah. and i think we gloss over that a little bit too much now, do they teach you it's just i don't i want to know like like on the behavioral side I have a teacher on campus, his name is Mr. Sandoval, and he never stresses discipline the entire year, and then no one talks in his class, and everyone listens to him, and he just, like, they, the, the students respect him, and do they teach you how to, like, gain respect of students, or do they uh, teach you, like, the psychological definitely a, definitely side Definitely a very difficult skill to Yeah, so the thing about that is that's why they make you do the field work. That's why they get your boots on the ground immediately ah. with CalTeach, because that's stuff they can't teach you. Like, they yeah. can explain to you the tenets of classroom management, mm. But until you set foot in a classroom, you're, you you're not going to know what it's uh -huh. like. Yeah. Like, right. it's impossible. Yeah, because it's, it's, like it's like a weird balance between, you know, somewhat of a strict demeanor, mm -hmm. but also uh, an engaging and approachable figure. Yeah. Right? Because if you're too strict, if you're too mean, you know, you're not approachable, yeah, so no one will come up to you. To yeah, you don't want to come off as too curt. You want to be, you know. Yeah, but then again, if you're too relaxed and too approachable, you get then, stomped all over. Then you, yeah. get, then you get run over. Yeah, yeah and so the goal right. there is to set really strict boundaries. And uh -huh. so um, they always stress for us spending like the first two or so weeks of like your instruction as a teacher, uh -huh. setting up what those boundaries are and setting up your specific rules for discipline in the yeah. classroom, uh -huh. making sure students know exactly what they can and cannot do. Right. And uh, on the flip side as well, if the student enjoys the class, they're going to be naturally attached better to the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's where I'm sure student led curriculum can, can fall into, yeah. where if you have an engaging lesson day in, day out, the student naturally would would you know appreciate the class. And yeah, I wonder what subjects have like the 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 worst uh, like outbreaks on average. Like, do, would you say like 
there's more outbreaks and more like disciplinary issues in like a math class than there would be like an English class. Uh, I've, I've only tough. been in science classrooms, so right. I can't and, speak for that. And yeah. do you, is there anything specific about science classes that you learn that you can't really find in other teaching for uh, other subjects? I mean, the thing about science is that it's a it's a really hands-on approach. That's, that's what true. That's, that's what true. We're, that's what another Especially thing that we're stressing is they want to stress or they want to move away from learning science to doing science. Right. And so we want to be giving kids lab skills, mm. lots of lab skills. Mm. And so that's very unique to mm. science is having to stress you know, lab safety, lab protocol, and like how to write and read scientifically. Uh-huh. That, that's pretty specific to yeah, that yeah, discipline. Yeah. Right. And it's hard to ignore the fact that our classrooms nowadays, and now, you know, when I say nowadays, you know, these years more like, is, is evolving. Yeah. Right. We are trying to move away from that industrial revolution style classroom where yeah. our teacher is up there stage, Chalkboard. stage, stage, yeah. right. Um, and we're trying to move into that more, you know, innovative, inclusive, engaging classroom. Yeah. So, so far, have you seen any major developments in, well, I mean, you had mentioned some, right. But like, do you think any of the old styles like lecture and all that, do you think that they still hold some place in today's curriculum? Like do you s- still think they're necessary at least to a certain degree, right? Like, do you think it's still applicable? Well, I mean, once you get to college, it's going to be like that anyway. Uh So I think a little bit of lecturing is still necessary. You can't get through a lesson without having a lecture component. Mm. But um, the actual structure of a lesson is outlined as like five E's. And one of the last E's is called elaborate. And that's basically where you do the majority of your lecturing types teaching. Mm -hmm. But you use it less as the primary way of teaching and more of a supplement. Yeah, that's the biggest argument I've heard is what you just mentioned, which is... Uh, I'm going to lecture because in college, that's exactly what's going to happen. Yep. And I mean, I guess to, ch- to really change the curriculum, it kind of has to start and changing it in, like, in the college environment. Because uh-huh. I guess one of the arguments is we're trying to prepare you for college. And if we're doing a whole bunch of stuff that's just like super collaborative and you're missing out on the lecture stuff, then you're going to be unused. You're, gonna be, you're right. not going to be used to the college environment. Right. But, but, but teaching for like, you know, preparing for college, quote unquote, does yeah. not mean imitation. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is the colleges are changing as well. Uh-huh. Uh, my bio two class right now uses a um, collaborative approach to how we do it. Mm-hmm. They organize the entire class of like 300 or so students into groups of six. And then we are working collaboratively, co- collaboratively with our groups the entire time. Mm-hmm. Lecture isn't the time when you're actually learning the stuff. Lecture is more of like a time to do like homework or supplementary stuff. Mm. And so you spend the majority of your time uh, answering questions, doing quizzes and stuff with your groups working with other people as opposed to just them standing on a stage telling us yeah. about right. DNA replication. It'd be tough. I mean, having like a class of 300 people just sitting there watching someone lecture, it's hard well, yeah. to get it to be interactive. Yeah, I mean, the main issue in college, I'm sure, is volume, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you try to get through yeah. hundreds of students within yeah. a semester and just you only have a certain amount of weeks to fit all that thing stuff in. But another fascinating thing, and I, I've, I've seen the changes in college as well, and you see, like, you know, as you're going along college apps and all that, you you see colleges um, advertise their engaging discussion level classes where, you know, they emphasize student to student interaction. But another fascinating thing that this brings up would be, um, you know, do you think changing curriculum is like a bottom up or top down bottom or top down uh, model where, you know, are you starting like K through five and moving up or are you starting at that top college level and that will influence the rest to change? You definitely have to start early at like K through five and then move it up. Uh-huh. Kids need this like really solid um, baseline from which to go off of, right. which is why they actually recently reworked how you take the Calteach classes. And so it used to be that you could take um, elementary, middle school, or high school. You had to do two of those, 
as your lower division. Now you have to start with elementary, then you can do middle or high school. Mm. And so they really want people to understand how much learning goes on in these early classrooms, right. and the actual changes that are going on there. Right. Because being able to set kids up with these like really strong foundations is absolutely crucial. That's how you get student engaged classrooms is by teaching them when they're like young and innocent as like little children who aren't jaded by school yet. <laughs> that's a good that's a good that is concept jaded by school yeah i mean uh, that, that's know, the unfortunately unfortunately it's true it's yeah that's the, it's true that's the big thing i've noticed between uh, middle and high school uh-huh. you it's do like, get jaded do you think that's how they're implementing curriculum right now is starting from the bottom and going up i'm, I'm sure right. because I, mean, I remember uh when i was in like second grade first graders got ipads uh-huh. and when i was in second grade I mean, when I was in third grade, second graders got iPads. Whoa. So it kind of just like tr- it trickled down, not uh-huh. from top to bottom, but actually bottom up. Yeah, but I mean, I've heard of the fasc- fascinating analogy where it's like a sponge, right? Like a dry sponge. Initially, it can soak up a lot of water. But then once you get to that point where it can barely soak up anything, that's when you kind of have to force or super saturate the sponge with water. And that's kind of the same thing with K through 12 education, where the initial years, that's when they're most retentive. And if you waste those years, yeah. You know, they're not going to be nearly the capacity where they can be. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, K through five. And I guess on the topic, and I, we didn't really, emph- like, you know, emphasize this. What age group are you looking to teach, really? So, um, my career path would be departmentalized. So, teaching life sciences or biology. So oh, so that's mainly middle and high yeah, school. Yeah, middle or high school, somewhere in that range. Right. Uh, either or. Actually, my mentor teacher right now at Tanaya used to teach at Buhat Colony. Uh-huh. And now she teaches at Tanaya. Uh-huh. So she's been able to give me a lot of great insights between yeah. high school the and differences middle. between yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and with yeah, with that, do you have a preference? Uh, right now, I'm leaning towards the middle schoolers. I didn't think that really? would be me a year really? ago. Really? But yeah, right wow, now. Okay. Why is that? Uh, they're so interested in stuff still. Really? <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah. 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 Like they, they're st- again, they're not jaded by school. Yeah. Right. They still have this like insane level of engagement and um, innocence to them. Right. And um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. If you were to teach high school, would you want to move and teach like AP classes and move into that? Not sure yet. Maybe at some point, like I'm just trying to get into the yeah, job yeah, as quick as possible, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm still lingering on that idea of being jaded by school because, well, for one, that, that resonates with me very well because I remember my sixth grade year was perhaps one of the most engaging years of my entire education. Like no hands down your sixth grade year sixth grade year not only because i had some fantastic teachers um both in mr. the math mr jones and mr lawrence both yeah. in english and, and science I, yeah it just felt like i had that natural interest in learning and you know i would still say i do but it seems like as more and more years of education goes on it loses that luster so to speak yeah and i, I don't know why i don't know if it could be solved or it should be solved if that's even a problem but i can see how that's a that's an issue where people almost become detached with traditional education as they grow older. I mean, a big part of it is, um, are either of you guys familiar with the growth or fixed mindset ideas? Yes. Yes. That's a a huge part of it. Whoa. Shout out to Ms. Shelburne for for talking about growth mindset. Yeah. Yeah. uh, We just covered that in my seminar two weeks ago. That's so cool. Yeah. Because actually one of the things they make us take for the minor is a um, psychology class. Uh You have to take Cycle 30 or Cycle 60. That's that's great. So we have to take child development or abnormal child development or um, cognitive psychology. So they want you to understand how, that was one of the first things we covered in my class too, how the middle school brain works. Because there's a lot of things you won't think about. Like, is this student really lazy? Yeah. Or are they just scared? Do they lack confidence? Uh Oftentimes it's the second one. Right. And you know, if they're bad at a subject, is it more because of their fear of being bad at that subject that's hindering them, right? I mean, we talk about math 
growth mindset a lot and and how people say like they're not a math person yeah exactly exactly right? but that that statement themselves them thinking that is probably the main reason why it's hindering them yeah. when you know in reality many if, if not most people have a natural tendency towards math it's just the way they've been taught math in the past you know breaks them out of that growing mindset into a fixed mindset saying you know i'm just not a math person and they don't stop improving yeah well, they don't improve anymore <laughs> if you look at um I forget which one was. I think it was in that book about the smartest kids in the world. Mm -hmm. They talk about how um, in those early years, the kindergarten years, a lot of people who go into that, they go into that teaching style because they're like, I want to teach, but I don't want to actually teach the hard subjects. When in reality, if you go into teaching like elementary school and you're not a math person, Uh you can actually set this kid up they did like a study and they like yes. interviewed teachers who said they weren't math people. And then and they, they found brought that, that down to students. students well. It was interesting because it was students of the same gender as the teacher yeah. had the like not a math person mindset throughout time. Too, yeah, because like, they kind all of the mirror high school. Yeah. And that's wow. another that's another role of teachers, right? Because, you know, it sounds cliche, cliche, but you are role models, right? And you yeah. do yeah, touch the lives of, of yeah. the students, especially in the middle school years, because they do spend a slightly more time with you. Because it's not like a period per period basis, right? It's like no, two you're literally blocks. there with them the entire time. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, for middle school though, it's like, um, wait, I forgot how middle school works. <laughs> it's it, it, it's, it's like two, two period two, blocks. It's right? a two, two, yeah, two period block. Because I know math and science are in elementary. Well, actually, in elementary, uh, in my fifth, we had two. We had, uh, I had two teachers in fifth grade. Right, because you switched off. But it was like a it was like a precursor to periods. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know. Tanaya, they do it just like high school, oh. where each period is a different class. Okay, yeah. well, that's yeah. that's different then. It's weird. You mentioned that you like you kind of are losing your – well, not necessarily losing, but you're not as interested as you were compared to your like sixth grade year. Uh-huh. But I – in middle school, I was not interested like whatsoever. And then my junior year is when like everything changed and that's when i started taking ap classes Mm -hmm. and that like i don't know why i just started actually caring finally yeah i'm sure there's different peaks for yeah yeah, yeah. where but for me it was definitely not not in like a downhill in terms of like downhill in in like motivation or something it's just downhill in what i look at school right it seems just less beautiful i don't know like are you not in awe as much as you used to be perhaps perhaps Uh, one of the big things there is that you mentioned sixth grade uh, middle school is the time when psychologically you become aware of metacognition. So mm. you start to know what you know. And so you can mm. start to actually assess how much you know about a given topic and actually like add that to your repertoire. So that could be ah. why like you feel like you learned a lot more in middle school because you can actually like quantify how much you learned in your own head. Mm. Like you can actually figure out how much you learned. Yeah. Right. Cause I remember in sixth grade, I had a fascination with matrices for math. I don't know why, because well, for one, it sounded cool. I remember like, it's like, yo, I, I want to learn how to do a matrix because it sounds cool. Yeah, you know it sounds I mean? like the most math thing there is. Right, right. But I remember, yeah, I think metacognition is a really good key to that because I remember reading a textbook and I was at chapter 11 out of 19. And I remember specifically saying like, dang, I'm only halfway through this basically. Like I, everything I know about math so far, that's like 50% of this textbook <laughs> yeah. plus whatever is past that, right? Yeah. And now as I'm taking more higher level, like, you know, up to like, you know, differential equations. And then, you know, teachers saying like, yeah, you're learning the basics, but uh, yeah, your advanced courses probably will delve a little bit more into this. And I was like, what, there's more, (laughs) right? Like, of course that's true for every level. Like the moment you get into a class, you find out there's a bigger fish, Yes. right? But still, I think that's a fascinating topic that, you know, could be delved into a little bit more about metacognition in middle school. Yeah, that's a that's a huge thing that they stress uh-huh. for us at Caltech or with the Caltech classes uh-huh. is like how the middle school brain works and what these kids are actually going through. Mm-hmm. So right. assessing, because once you become aware of metacognition, it's really easy to fall into a growth or fixed mindset. Because oh, that's true. Now you know what you know, so you ah. know what you don't know. 
Yeah, so you can either decide, okay, whatever I don't know, that's going to be that's going to be that's going to stay what I don't know, uh, or you can be like that is what I will, will know eventually. And it, and it's really weird because you have to be really careful in the language that you use in the classroom now, mm-hmm. because uh-huh. saying that I'm teaching something actually puts the opus on me as a teacher. It's saying I'm the one doing the work. I'm Ooh, teaching you. Whereas if I say you're going to learn this then what that's telling the student is that they're doing the work. It's on them. They're mm-hmm. the ones actually engaging with the material. Mm. Yeah. Another topic that um, when I was talking to admin that we kind of explored a little bit was the fact that, and I think we have to agree on this trend, in that students in general, I feel like, take school for granted. In that, you know, you hear the topics, right? It's like, oh, this teacher is bad, or like, oh, my God, I, you know, stuff like that. And it seems as though, and, and we were talking, because uh, I was talking about funding, and just on the topic of funding, how difficult it is to run a school and how difficult it is to manage the mechanics yeah, yeah, yeah. of the school. And, you know, I think if every student knew about how difficult it was to do that, I think they would have a little bit more appreciation for, you know, the, the levels of school that, that, that should work. Um, but, yeah, just, just your thoughts on that. And I'm sure in middle school, is, I think that's a little bit more apparent in high school than in middle school. I think, in high sc- I think high school is an age where you build up a lot of cynicism. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if that's well, true I agree. or not. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can definitely see that with the kids. Yeah. have been kicked yeah. down. <laughs> I think, yeah. And, you know, I've, I've thought about the idea of teaching as well. And, you know, honestly, middle school seems like a little better time to teach because I think it's just that, where people, <laughs> where the students are less jaded. <laughs> They're not, you know, enamored with <laughs> the cynicism of yeah. human life and, and human education. Um, but, yeah, uh, another thing. So have you have you seen the TED Talk? I always bring this up whenever there's, like, an education speaker on this podcast. But have you seen the TED Talk with Ken Robinson who talks about do, skills, do schools kill creativity? No, I don't think I've seen that one. Right. So this is a really fascinating guy. Um, but I'll, I'll just give you a quick synopsis of what he, he was talking about. And he basically says that schools are killing creativity yeah. in that, you know, everyone's born creative and has that creative capacity. But our schools and how we stigmatize mistakes and doing like doing wrong and you know making mistakes is the worst possible thing that you know causes students to step away from that creativity from thinking original because that might you know force that might you know embarrass them in front of the class Mm -hmm. so do you guys touch up on on that about how to like you know don't necessarily punish a student for making a mistake but rather moving on from that i mean that kind of drives into the student-driven approach where it's like if the student's the one actually learning the information, if the student's the one actually making the connections, then it can't be wrong because yeah. it's like them making the connections. And so then when you actually finally explain it, like they're not thinking, oh, I was wrong. They're like, oh, this is how it actually is. Yeah. It's mm. not necessarily that they learned it incorrectly or I'm dumb. It's more like, oh, I looked at this the wrong way. Right. Oh, so I was viewing this from the wrong angle. And it gives them that freedom of expression and creativity where it's like, they can figure out how they're going to understand this concept. Uh-huh. What, like The end result will be the same because you still have your summative assessment, but how the student gets there is entirely up to them, Yeah. essentially. Yeah. Did you pull something up here? Yeah. Oh, I mean, we're kind of getting a little eh, That's fine. Time. This is yeah, fascinating. Yeah. But I, I, there's just this random story that I saw uh-huh. on my way here, and it's about a uh, Texas A&M professor who was so frustrated with their student's performance oh, yeah, he that failed he the entire failed class. the entire class. How could you Bruh. do that? I, I just don't, don't understand how that's you could fail an entire right class. Yeah, well, that I feel like that's just the story of an exasperated professor who just took yeah. it, who, whose class just took it over the line where he just cracked. Yeah, his his class definitely just pushed him past any any barriers that he had set for himself. Yeah, it right. sucks though. Seeing a teacher crack sucks. We had a teacher in middle school mm-hmm. who cracked. Yeah. I, I forgot who it was, but I remember I had a classroom next to her, 
and I just heard her screaming one day, Bro. and then oh. I heard her I heard her leave the class, and she never came back. Was this at Crookshank? Yes. I remember that, actually. And so uh, I think it, it all broke out when a photographer came to our school and was, like, telling us about how he, like, made this book and how he, like, does wildlife photography. And every, all the kids came back into the class, and they were all just like, why did he even come? And then that was, like, the last straw for her. And she flipped out, and I never, we never yeah. saw her again. But see, I'm, I'm pretty sure those scenarios aren't one-sided in that the students were at fault. I'm sure yeah, I mean, the, the teacher could have uh, how does it get to know, that developed point? a classroom environment, right? I yeah. mean, I, I haven't been... You know, engaged yeah, yeah, yeah. in a classroom long enough to know when it would get to that point, but I would hope. Hopefully, it will never hopefully happen. Hopefully, it never will. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll see. You know, yeah. we're staying strong. Yeah, well, and I guess with that, I mean, it, it, it kind of comes to our our end of the podcast. Thank you for coming out, dude. Yeah, this was this an was, amazing uh, podcast. I've I'm never learned so much in like one conversation. Yeah, this was fascinating, especially the fact that now I know that you guys actually have to learn psychology and child development psychology when it comes to teaching education. Yep, child development or cognitive psychology. Uh, co ex yeah. yeah, cognitive psychology. Th those yeah. are the two classes you and, can take. And I'm sure behavioral psychology could come into play sometime as well in terms of like how to get someone to do something or get a, get a student to do yeah. something. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm I sure mean, that comes in as well. The, the prereqs for uh, the developmental and uh, cognitive psychology are psych one which mm. is just intro psych. So you'll oh, learn it includes behavioral yeah, psychology. Yeah, you'll, you'll learn behavioral psychology. Yeah, I think right. a lot of people are going to learn from this. I like My knowledge of teaching someone kind of ends at kindergarten because my mom has like a, she's the director and administrator of this program called Early Start, which is oh, where they, yes, I've heard of that. They, they enter homes and kids that aren't really developing well before like the age of five or four, right before they get into the school system, then they work with them and catch them up. Because I mean, I think a lot of issues start there. Mm. So this... I, I didn't really know this what happened past that. Yeah, this and I hope really more people consider like teaching as a as a career path. Yeah, because it, it not only is rewarding but also a f you know just a great way to continue your legacy. Yeah, right. Because yeah. you are touching the lives of yeah. students. Yeah. and I mean Caltech exists because of the teacher shortage. We, That's we true. Need there is a teacher shortage. We need teachers in California. Yeah. Really I just bad. hope our culture puts more emphasis on the respective yeah, teachers. Yeah, that'd be cool teachers. if Finland if, yep. if we go to like something like Finland. Yeah. But I guess with that. Um, Thank you once again for yeah, coming on the show. Awesome. Um, make sure to get some Little Oven Pizza. Get some specials next time, maybe too. All right, I'll check it out. Yeah. Go, get, get an apple covered in chocolate from the chocolate tipper. Yep. And, and get a house and get buy a covered house. in paint <laughs> from, from <laughs> next door. If you're in the market estate. for buying or selling or renting a house, next door real estate. Yep. That's your go-to. And I guess we'll see you in the next episode. Yeah.